Good to see everybody this morning. Got your Bibles open. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 14. And things got really crazy with Paul and Barnabas because they ended up giving equal status to Gentiles. And some of the Jewish religious leaders couldn't handle that. Nonsense. Jesus alone? And they get the same status before God as us? Not even obeying the law? That's just not good enough. You're destroying the Jewish faith. Religion. You're dangerous men spreading dangerous doctrine about this man Jesus. And the mob pressured City Hall. The Jews used their political connections to expel from the country, from that town. They got them out of town. And you review a couple of verses from chapter 13, verse 50. The Jews raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them from their region. But look at this. Though they were filled with bitterness, the Gentiles who had opened their hearts to Jesus... They're going, wow, God loves us and he sent his son to die for us and we have absolute, complete forgiveness in him and they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So Paul and Barnabas, they're moving on. They're pressing on into even greater Gentile territory on this missions trip and they're headed for Iconium. Chapter 14. Book of Acts. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together into the synagogues of the Jews. Well, they go first. If there's a synagogue, that's where they go first, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile because the Jews were to be a light unto the Gentiles. And God set up the Jewish nation to set the stage on earth for his son to come. And so that's the pattern that we see. And so they go to the synagogue, and we finish with verse 1, and they spoke, they so spoke. Well, what did they speak about? Well, they taught about Jesus. And, of course, in the synagogue, we, we see Paul and Barnabas teaching about all the Old Testament prophecies and, and the patterns in the temple, and it all spoke of Jesus. And so they are teaching about Jesus And there was a great multitude, and this is fascinating, both of the Jews and the Greeks that believed. This time a great many of the Jews gave their hearts to Jesus as their Messiah, their Savior. They they both, Jews and Gentiles, were moved. It's an unprecedented move of God, and it must have been incredible But here's what I find interesting. Even that didn't stop the few Jews, the religious leaders who rejected what Paul and Barnabas were saying. Equal status for Gentiles? We don't think so. And they started a gossip and smear campaign. Verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. They poisoned their minds against the brethren. Fake news, way back in A.D. 50. 
It's crazy. Uh, therefore, and I like this, you've got to love Paul and Barnabas. There's this fake news, this gossip. They're ripping on them, but they stayed a long time. Therefore, they stayed a long time. You see, they had the support of the majority of the Jewish people who accepted Jesus as their Messiah and Savior. And we go on with verse 3. So they spoke, they were speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. No, this is what God's word says. God sent his son. The whole, all the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus coming and dying on the cross. He's, he's the fulfillment of everything that you see in your scriptures. And they spoke boldly. And they were bearing witness of the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So as they're speaking and sharing about Jesus, it says Jesus, the Lord, bore witness of their word about him by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. If you have your notes on the back of the bulletin, the first one, Jesus, what is he doing? He's confirmed the word of his grace who he is and what he did on the cross with signs and wonders. So, here's these miracles taking place. Now, you might think these miracles, these signs and wonders, would be able to finally change the mind of those stubborn religious Jewish leaders, the ones that were holding back and not opening their hearts. Well, you would think that. no. Actually, things got worse. Look at verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews, the religious leaders, who didn't want anything to do with Gentiles having the same status as the religious Jews. And they part with the apostles. And then verse 5, when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them, they go, look at verse 6, we're out of here. They, they fled. and that, That's the idea. Uh, they couldn't get out of town fast enough. Uh, wise decision. So, signs and wonders. Let's talk about that a little bit. Signs and wonders... Miracles do not of themselves produce faith. Really? In themselves, do they change hearts and minds? Evidently not. I'm sure you might know someone or have even a family member or a friend or a co-worker who's made this statement. Well, this stuff about Jesus, I, I don't know. If God would just show me a miracle that I could believe, I would believe in Jesus. I would give him my heart. Really? Well, here these signs and wonders, they only made things worse for Paul and Barnabas. They had to run for their lives. But that shouldn't surprise us if you know the Word of God and you know Jesus teaching and the miracles and the work that he did when he was on earth. Remember the one Jesus loved, Lazarus? He had been dead and buried four days. 
before Jesus came. And when Jesus got there, he says, roll away the stone. We're looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 11 and chapter 12. And the stone was rolled away and Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And I think if he wouldn't have cried out his name, the whole graveyard would have come forth. But Lazarus comes forth. He's been dead. He's been buried. One one of the women, oh, don't open the grave. He's decayed by now. It's terrible. You know, Jesus, if you would have gotten here on time, you could have done this miracle, but not now. That's even beyond you. No, it's not. God is God, and Jesus, the Son of God, very God, God in a bod, as Kenny Poor would say. He cried forth, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. We skip down to verse 46. There's some who were literally there to be spies for the religious leaders. Verse 46, and some of them, they go, whoa! And they ran to the Pharisees and they told him, you're not going to believe what Jesus has done now. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. So, did this miracle astounding miracle did it produce faith in these guys or the religious leaders what happened well we move on to the next chapter verse 10 the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also no it only made them hate Lazarus too signs and wonders miracles do not produce faith what does Romans 10:17 and I love the New Living Translation here it really makes it clear what the Bible is telling us faith faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about Jesus about the Christ so number 2 in your notes believing faith life changing faith comes by hearing the good news about Christ, period. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were all about. The miracles, okay, that's great. But what's really important is that you hear about the love of Christ and what he's done for you. You're either in Christ or outside of Christ. You're either lost or found. Your decision about the Lord Jesus Christ is life itself, a saint or an ain't. The gospel in Iconium initially caused division. The religious leaders hated that the, that the Gentiles would be given the same status before eternal God that they've earned by following the law. Jesus said the gospel would have this effect, Luke 1251. Remember what he said? Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. Rather, division. 
I'm always astounded that people can hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and why he came and what he did for them on the cross of Calvary and that on the third day, historically proven, he rose from the grave and he's alive today and he's there to come into your heart. In fact, he's knocking on the door of your heart. And Jesus himself said, the thief, the evil one, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy what life is all about. But what did he say? I have come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance, that you might have it to the full. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were so encouraged to be able to share with these Gentiles and with the Jews. So now they're fleeing again. They left and they come to Lystra and Derby as we finish verse 6, the cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And verse 7, what are they doing? While they're preaching the good news about Jesus again, they're preaching the gospel there. Now you notice here they didn't go to a synagogue. Why? I think it's just simply because there wasn't one. Now they're completely in Gentile territory. I mean, they are way out there. This is somewhere where, where the gospel has never gone before. Paul and Barnabas, completely uncharted waters, pagan territory. What's going on in this territory? There's no Jewish synagogue, no teaching about the true and living God. What are they all about here? They're about the Roman and Greek gods of mythology. Legend had it in this territory, and this is... Uh, as I studied about this territory and what was going on with Paul and Barnabas and what happens next and why, the legend had it that many years earlier, some Greek gods, specifically Zeus and Hermes, came down and visited the people here. And they walked among them. But no one recognized them as a god, except for a husband and wife. They honored them as gods. And Zeus and Hermes turned around and they destroyed everybody else except for this husband and wife whom they blessed with great riches. True story, if you believe in mythology. So, that's the background here. Here they come, Paul and Barnabas, teaching about the true and living God, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And as they're teaching, Paul looks at this certain man, verse 8, without strength in his feet. He's sitting there. He's listening to the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Jesus died for me. Jesus gave, became, God became a man for me and loved me and gave himself for me and my sins on his shoulders, on the cross, are washed away, and I forgiven, and he's giving his heart to the Lord right then and there. And he was crippled from his mother's womb. He had never walked, verse 9, 
this man heard Paul speaking, and Paul, seeing him, he must have seen the tears in his eyes and the joy filling his heart. He's observed him intently, seeing that he had the faith to be healed. In this case, both spiritually for eternal life and a physical healing. Remember, the Lord is confirming his words through signs and wonders. And with a loud voice, Paul says, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and he walked, which was in a, a miracle in itself. He had never walked before. And there he is, walking, praising God, leaping. So Paul's preaching Christ. The faith to believe in Jesus wells up in this man's heart. He's a pagan, Gentile unbeliever who believed in mythology and the Greek gods, but now he's turning his heart over to the living God. You see, faith comes from hearing, and hearing the good news, the gospel of Christ. This is just one of the many examples. Jesus' grace, granting signs and wonders. Remember verse 3, if you go back and look, the Lord bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In your third note, McGee says of this situation, I, I really appreciate J. Vernon McGee and his Bible teaching. He says, this is what's happening with Paul here. Paul had the gifts of an apostle, the sign gifts. Paul came into these places without any New Testament. No, it was actually being written at this time and formulated with God the Holy Spirit speaking through holy men of God that were moved by the Spirit to write down the very words of God. Without any New Testament, with the message of the gospel, what were his credentials? How could you know what he was saying was really true? Or not? How could you prove? How could he prove his message was from God? And McGee says the sign gifts—they were his credentials. It's interesting to compare the apostles' credentials of Peter and Paul. They were both. God used both of them to heal a lame man, like we have here. He used both to deal with satanic pretenders. Both were released from prison miraculously and both God used to literally raise the dead. Now, you might think, all right, we've got this miracle happen before these people again. Wow, this is really going to grab their hearts, this miracle. They're going to all Believe in Jesus, you would think. Well, no. Actually, things got worse. <laughs> Look at verse 11. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. <laughs> They're just not getting it at all. Look at verse 12. And Barnabas, and they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. 
in verse 13. And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of the city, he's bringing animals, oxen, and garlands to the gates, and they're going to make a sacrifice to Zeus and Hermes, who have come to them in human form, Paul and Barnabas. Now remember the legend. They really believed it. They believed mythology. And Zeus and Hermes, when they visited last time, no one worshipped them as gods. And they wiped out the whole town. And they're going, whoa, we don't want to get wiped out again. We want to be blessed like that couple that was blessed when they recognized him as a god. And so they rushed to worship Paul and Barnabas this time. They were steeped in this mythology. Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We're also our men with the same nature as you were not gods. And we're preaching to you that you should turn from these useless things, this mythology, to the living God. We'll stop there in that verse right there. Useless things, referring to their mythology, their belief in, in man-made idols and uh, stories about uh, Zeus, Hermes, Diana, others, who they are worshiping as a god. And Paul is saying, turn from this and turn to the living God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we look back at their mythology, their Greek and Roman gods, honestly. You think about that, doesn't it make you kind of chuckle? Can't, I can't believe that in their intelligence that they would worship mythology and worship idols and worship you know, Zeus and Hermes and, eh, come on. We would never do anything like that in our culture. We're too refined. We know way too much than to be taken in by mythology. Are we really any different? Think about this. Our greatest thinkers our most looked up to and in intellectual scientists. <laughs> Think about this. This is what they actually believe. Look at your notes, number four. This is our, in my mind, our mar modern mythology. And this is the statement that so all of our kids are being taught in the public arena and schools. Well, we don't know how life started, but once life started, life evolved itself into greater and greater and more and more complex design so that we see what we have today. Really? Well, let's think about complex design what that really looks like. And I, I thought, this is something that we can all probably relate to. 
So what is one of the most complex designs that maybe even some of us have used and have had a chance to ride in a Tesla or, or whatever? It's called a self-driving vehicle. And as I looked at this, I go, what, what does it take? What did it take to even get our self-driving vehicles to the place where they are today? So this article says, they're calling it a money pit. How much of a money pit? A group of 30 companies has spent at least, are you ready for this? 16 billion dollars developing fully driving, self-driving cars over the past few years. So far they have little, if any, revenue to show for it, but billions more will likely be needed before the technology is ready for prime time. Look at the next slide. I guess. Tesla system with which uses cameras, radar, short range sonar, has trouble handling stopped emergency vehicles. Teslas have struck several fire trucks and police vehicles that were stopped on free freeways with their lights flashing emergency, emergency. Wham. Okay. Sixteen billion and counting. What does the Bible say about the Lord and the complexity of the design of his creation? I love this. Psalm 139, 14 and 15. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. Okay. Many of you have something in your purse or billfold that's worth over $16 billion. Did you know that? Do you know what it is? Eric, what do you think? I'll bet it's there. Let me see if I've got one. Oh, I do. It's a driver's license. The state of California thinks I'm worth over $16 billion because I'm a self-driving person. I am so complex that they've given me a license to be able to drive and you can trust me when I'm on the highway, right? They say you can. Anyway, my point is, what does it take for the complexity that God has put into us? It takes incredible planning and creation to develop us to the point that we can be self-driving persons. I'm telling you, I would trust you a whole lot more than I would trust a Tesla at this point. So, 
you got a license, you're designed with such incredible complexity. And you've been created to be worth, oh, so much more than $16 billion. In fact, to the Lord, you are deeply loved by your Creator. And you meant more to Him than life itself. He went to the cross for you. And the Bible goes on about being able just to perceive that there is a living God in what he has made. Romans 1, 20 and 22. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And how complex and intertwined the creation is. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. But the modern mythology, how has it responded? Oh, we don't know how life started, but once it started, it created itself to what we are today. Are you kidding me? Come on. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And Paul is telling them, and he's telling our world today. No, you should turn from mythology and you should turn to the living God. Verse 15, as we take up again. The living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Remember he's speaking to Gentiles, pagans, mythology, Greek gods, Roman gods. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. And there they are sharing the good news of God's Son who came down and became one of us, died for us, rose from the grave. And that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. So, although society has rejected God, the Roman, the Greek mythology, nations turn from him, evolution, God still loves his creation. God loves mankind. He allows rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. He allows food to be produced. He allows our hearts to be filled with gladness. He allows people to enjoy life, to experience the joy of a sunrise, to hold a newborn baby, all because of his goodness and his love for his creation, his love for you and me and those around us. See, Paul had already told them, their creator, the living God, He became one of us because he loved us with all his heart. 
And he died on the cross of Calvary to wash away your sins. And all you have to do is give your heart to him. You're born from above. You have eternal life. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And by the way, he rose from the dead on the third day, just as God's word to the Jewish people proclaimed would happen. God so loved the world, loved you, that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And with these sayings, verse 18, sharing this again, running through the crowd, ripping their clothes, saying, no, stop what you're doing. We're men just like you, but we're coming with the word from the living God. Turn from this mythology and turn to Jesus. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. (laughs) So Paul finishes this simple yet really powerful message. And the people decided not to offer sacrifices. Watch what happens next. You'd think, well, that settles that. No, things go from bad to worse. How so? Well, verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, the ones that ran them out of town, they came. They're the ones with a vengeance. They, it's not enough that we get them out of our territory. We're going to follow these guys, and we don't want them to be anywhere in this area, period. And they're coming with a vengeance. And having persuaded the multitudes, verse 19. So one minute, remember, these, these people, they're gods. Worship them. And the next minute, huh, they're imposters. Kill them. Talk about fickle. (laughs) It was the power of fake news again. And Paul, from receiving sacrifices to being their sacrifice, the miracle of the crippled man healed, oh, that got their attention. But that in itself did not change their hearts or their minds. And what happened? We finish verse 19. And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Well, that's that. Finally, we took care of this rascal. We are so tired of him putting down our Jewish law and making Gentiles equal status to those that that practice the law and earn God's grace and earn everything that God wants to give them. Now, we got rid of Paul. Problem solved. Not quite. Look at verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, what what were they doing? Praying. Praying. He rose up and then left the territory. I'm out of here. What did he do? He goes back into the city. Are you kidding? Back? How do you stop a guy like that? So remember, 
in Iconium, when he found out they were going to stone him, he fled. Here, they did stone him. I think he's literally raised from, at the very least, unconsciousness, but probably death. And he's raised and healed. They didn't have to ambulance him back into the city. He heads back by his own power. What happened to give Paul such courage? Some believe, as I do, that this is when Paul experienced heaven itself. And that's recorded to the letter, in the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. Paul says, I, I know this guy. I know a man who 14 years ago, and at that time this would put the timing right back where he was on this first missions trip 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I don't know. Whether out of the body, don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, to the throne room of God himself. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. Talk about, whoa, I've seen heaven. There's nothing that's going to stop me from trying to get everybody that I can possibly talk to to accept my Savior, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. You can't slow me down. You can't stop me the courage that welled up within his heart, he heads back into the city. But as we wrap this up and the worship team comes up, bottom line again, miracles, signs and wonders. Well, if God would just show me a real miracle, I would believe in Jesus. But until I see that miracle, I just can't believe. I'm too intelligent and too smart for that. Really? Really? Signs and wonders do not produce faith. Faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news, opening your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse, verse, number five on your notes as we wrap this up. Signs and wonders are given by the Lord, and I'm so grateful for this, to strengthen and confirm our faith. Those who have put our trust in Jesus and to authenticate his word. The word was the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ. And then we finish with verse 20. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. It's like, man, the next day completely healed. He's been stoned and left for dead. And here they go. They're on the trail again. They can't wait to tell more people about Jesus. What about you? What about you? What about me? Lord, as we wrap this up this morning, 
just impress upon our hearts the power of your word, the gospel, the good news about our Savior. We don't, we don't need signs and wonders. We don't need miracles. What we need is just to share the love of Christ. And then miracles happen, especially in people's hearts. Lord, help us be like Paul and Barnabas, where we just can't wait to get out and to share the powerful good news of the love and mercy and grace of our Savior, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Stand with me and we'll close our service. So think about Paul. From that point on, he never looked back, did he? (laughs) It was, for him, it was that miracle that strengthened his faith beyond belief. The Lord gives us miracles. We read about the miracles in the Word to strengthen our faith. But what's going to really make a difference in someone else's life? It's not the miracles. It's the good news about Jesus. Think about the power that we have that someone's life could be changed forever. And all we have to do is share the good news of Jesus with them. I say, go for it. Amen? Amen. God bless.